welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, Jonathan's faith in God's promises leads him to boldly attack the Philistines and rally Israel to fight off their oppressors. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 14 verse 4. Once again, that's 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 4. Look at verse 4. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over unto the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. The phrase there, sharp rock, it means like a steep hill. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Senna. And the forefront of the one was situated northward over against Michmash, and the other was southward over against Gabeah. And Jonathan said unto the young man that bears armor, he said, Come, and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. I don't know, if I was Jonathan's armor bearer at this point in time, I would say, yeah, but I, I would like a lot more. We'll get to that guy's response in a second, because it's way better than mine. But the idea here is between the passages refers to these other smaller wadis that ran into the main wadi, which people used to travel east and west in this region. So these in-between paths would need to be heavily watched by guards to ensure as the Philistine army came down from the hill on Michmash and came into the wadi to move east to ensure that no one hit them from the flank or no one hit them from behind by surprise. So they've got these garrisons stationed there. And as Jonathan makes this move. He notices they're moving and he decides, let's go check on one of these guard spots and see what the Lord might do. So Jonathan checks on the Philistines by taking one of these narrow wadis to get to the bigger one. And the end leads him to a hill that overlooks another narrow passage on the other hill. And there he sees one of these posted guards and he tells the armor bearer, hey, let's go over to the garrison, the guard group of these uncircumcised, I love is what he calls them. He doesn't say, let's go over to those people who have better weapons than us. Let's go over to those people who are outnumber us. He doesn't see them that way. He sees them as those whose lives aren't separated to the Lord. And therefore, Jonathan sees the Philistines as the ones who are at the disadvantage. Isn't that interesting? He looks over and he goes, let's go over and see those uncircumcised. They're not in the place we are. We're dedicated to the Lord. Let's go over and see these folks who don't have the Lord on their side. I want to read to you something from 1 Samuel 17 from David when he confronted Goliath. Before he was going to go out to Goliath, Saul, of course, is meeting with David and trying to convince him to not go. In 1 Samuel 17, Saul says to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Your servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I smote him again and I slew him. And thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing as he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. He'd probably heard that speech before from his son. Can you see why these two became best friends? Jonathan's like, 
Let's go talk to those uncircumcised. All the other Israelis are cowering when Goliath is out there going, oh, I'm Goliath, I'm going to kill everybody, you know, and they're all running into the caves. And David's out here and he's like, who's this dude? He's taller than you. He's a man of war. He's going to step on you. And he's like, nah, brah, nah, nah, it's not going to go like that. Uh-uh, uh-uh, I've already been through this. I've already done this, all right? I've, I've played this song. I've, I've been in this act. I've seen this movie. I know how it ends. I went out against the lion, against this, against the bear. Dude took my sheep and knocked him in the face. He came at me after I took the sheep out of his mouth and I knocked him in the face again and killed him. Why? Because the Lord was with me. It's just an animal. I'm the Lord's. So this uncircumcised, he doesn't call him a giant. He doesn't call him this massive, mighty warrior. He goes, this uncircumcised Philistine would be like one of them. Both Jonathan and David were men who assessed situations based on what God's word said instead of what their own senses or even other people's senses told them. That's faith. When your senses tell you and say, this is no way this can work. If I obey God here, there's no way it works. That's where faith kicks in. When faith says, but I trust what God says. Faith is not just this ethereal thing where I go, well, I just trust the Lord. That's where sometimes people do things and go, well, I'm just trusting God. And you're going, yeah, but you're disobeying him. Like his principles here, you're ignoring. That's not trusting the Lord. Well, I'm not afraid. That's not a good thing right now because the Bible says you're supposed to be wise about this, this, and this. But faith, biblical faith is when we see what the word says and we go, yeah, but this might end up bad for me. Like everything tells me this is gonna end up bad for me if I do what God says. That's when faith says, I trust the Lord. I don't trust my own senses in this situation. Now, I love Jonathan too, because he's not presumptuous. He doesn't presume he can just rush over there and start swinging and that God's required to back him up. He says to his assistant, he says, it may be, which means it may not be, but it may be that the Lord will work for us. I love that. He basically says to this guy, prideful presumption would say, we're gonna go and God just has to honor it. But biblical faith is bold at the same time it's being submissive. And so what Jonathan's saying is if we make ourselves available, maybe God will do something for us. So let's go make ourselves available. And the reasoning is, for there is no restraint to the Lord. There's no obstacle, no hindrance to the Lord to save by many or by few. What a beautiful truth that is. God doesn't need the numbers to balance out. We don't make decisions as Christians by going, well, you know, there's a 74% chance this works and a 26% chance that obedience fails. That's not how we do it. We go, well, God tells us to do this, so let's do that. Let's trust him because we know he loves us. We know that he knows what's best for us. God doesn't need any kind of quota or drop dead point to act. He technically doesn't need us at all. But he chooses to partner with those whose hearts are steadfast towards him. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in 2 Chronicles 16.9 when God was, through the prophet, rebuking King Asa because Asa took matters into his own hands. And he tells him, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong in the behalf of him whose heart is, King James says, perfect towards him, but it means steadfast toward him. A heart that is loyal, devoted, dutifully unwavering in its commitment to the Lord. 
You see, the difference between Saul and Jonathan isn't that one of them had more resources than the other one. They both had the same resource, the Lord. The difference was the condition of their heart. Now, let's see what his assistant says, verse 7. I love this. And his armor bearer said unto him, do all that is in your heart. Turn thee. Behold, I am with you according to your heart. He hears Jonathan say this and he goes, man, my heart bears witness with that. I'm right in there. I've been waiting for somebody to say, let's go do something like that. Lead the way. I'm right behind you. I'm 100% got your back. Jonathan gets a lot of attention and rightfully so. He's an amazing man. But this unnamed guy is awesome too. He could have said, "Uh, boss, it's just two of us or something along those lines. But he says, this is what I've been waiting for, hoping for. Those 600 guys who stuck with Saul, we don't talk about them a whole lot. Do you know how easy it would have been to leave? I mean, everybody else had already. It would not have been difficult. It's like one of those things where people start backing out and then finally someone comes to you and says, yeah, I don't think this is going to work out. I'm, I'm going I'm to back out too. I don't think anyone there would have looked at them and thought, loser. I imagine there's plenty of people who thought, I get it. I get it. I've been thinking about it too. But these 600 guys were men who were watching their nation crumble. And yet they've remained loyal to Saul. They haven't gone anywhere. The folks who stayed, they're like this guy. They're just waiting for someone to lead them in trusting the Lord. Waiting for someone to say, let's see what God might do. And that's who we're supposed to be to one another. There's nothing wrong with being wise according to the scriptures. We're supposed to be that way. But I've found there are way too many, if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, there are way too many Mr. Worldly wise men in the church who discourage people who are trying to live by biblical principles and who are trying to have a biblical mindset. Well, that's, that's not very wise. You know, you need to do this, this, and this first. Israel was in this mess because their king leaned on his own understanding. Let's be like Jonathan and his armor bearer instead. Now, Jonathan does have a more detailed plan to discern the Lord's will here. And so before he leads away, he explains that plan to his assistant once he knows he's got his support. Verse 8. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will reveal ourselves, discover ourselves unto them. If they say thus unto us, tarry until we come to you. Stay down there, and then we'll come to you. Then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, come up unto us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this shall be a sign, the miracle, unto us. Now, I don't know why Jonathan made the more difficult option, the one that lets them know God wants them to attack. The likelihood that they would say, come on up here, compared to, hey, you stay there, we're going to come down and get you. That is the more likely thing than for them to be lazy and say, come up here. But I can say this. I know I've prayed similar prayers when I wasn't sure what God wanted me to do. Basically, I say, God, if you really want me to move forward, do this unlikely thing. Because I was like, what is the likelihood of that happening? I've done this before. God doesn't control what people say. But he knew that these guards were arrogant. And he put this idea in Jonathan's heart. God did. So it seemed like a very natural thing for Jonathan to throw out there as options. Turns out to be a miraculous sign. And so in verse 11, it says, And both of them discovered themselves. They revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of their holes where they have hid themselves. 
And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. They were genuinely shocked to see Israeli troops confront them because Saul and his troops had been in hiding. And they kind of deride Jonathan and his armor bearer. Oh, the Hebrews have come forth out of the holes. The word there means they're animal dens. They've come out of the holes they've dug in the ground like animals where they've been hiding. And they told him, come up here and we'll show you a thing. And so Jonathan said unto his armor bearer, that's the sign. Let's go get them. Come up after me for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And it says, Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet and his armor bearer after them. I'm picturing the whole princess bride scene where he's climbing up to go fight and dig him at Matoya and without the help though. And he's just, you know, clawing everything. Just wait a second. I'll be there in a second. I'll whoop you guys. Him and his armor bearer, they are scratching themselves up as they're clawing up to go fight these guys up there. As they're chuckling and laughing and thinking, as soon as they get up here, we're going to wipe the floor with these two crazies. Jonathan had to work hard to get to the place where he'd be severely outnumbered. Most of us avoid impossible situations. I know I do. We certainly don't exert effort and scratch up our arms and legs climbing to get to an impossible position. What an amazing pair these two guys are. I need more of this mindset in my life. And look at what they did. It says, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer slew after him. Now that Jonathan knew God's will, he did rush in swinging. He got to the top. And whoever he knocked down, his assistant finished off. And these wadis are incredibly narrow. So the Philistines could not just send everything they had at him. They had to fight him probably three or four at a time. And Jonathan, he's just taking, knocking people down. And the armor bearer's just, yeah, next, yeah, and just taking them out until 20 men are dead. Look at verse 14. And that first slaughter which Jonathan, his armor bearer, made was about 20 men within, as it were, a half acre of land which is a a yoke of oxen might plow. Israel had lost so much ground to the Philistines since Saul disobeyed, but Jonathan took a half acre back with just two soldiers. Just two soldiers. Think of what 600 could have done. Killing 20 men with two might seem more akin to movie than reality. But again, in those narrow confines, it would have been impossible for the Philistines to surround Jonathan and his assistant. Philistines likely kept coming because they probably thought that eventually somebody would land a blow and then they'd be done for. But once the dead started piling up, they eventually fled. And when they reached the main army, God began to do his thing. Look at verse 15. And there was a trembling in the host in the field and among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled and the earth quaked. So it was a very great trembling. Now, the first trembling there refers to terror or anxiety. It mentions here that as these soldiers, this guard force, however big it was, is fleeing back to the main force, it says that terror and anxiety began to come over the army. And I imagine if just while news that two men had routed an entire guard force might be terrifying, they'd probably be thinking, what could the rest of Saul's army do if just two guys whooped us this badly? But that wasn't what made them fearful. It also tells us that the earth quaked. As the news is coming in, as soldiers are fleeing into the main force, when he mentions those in the field, it's talking about those who are on the move, because remember the army had started moving, those who were the support staff, the people, those who were in the garrison, those who hadn't moved yet, and then even though the spoilers who were, the, who were out there pillaging and whatever, everywhere the Philistines were, news started to come in, the Hebrews are attacking, we're on the run. 
that was the thing that got them the worst. The worst was right after this news starts coming in, an earthquake occurs. Now, when news comes in that you're being whooped by an inferior force and then it's followed by an earthquake, it's not that you're terrified that two guys whooped up on a few of your men. Now you know you're not just fighting two or 600 men. Now you know you're fighting God. And that's why terror sweeps through. It says it was a very great trembling. It sweeps through the entire army. Now, can you imagine how awesome it must have felt to have been Jonathan as assistant right now? Dude, look at what we did. Look at what we started. Look at what we were part of. Look at what the Lord did. He is fighting for us just like he promised he would. We read in Psalm 40 and that phrase there where He says, blessed is the man that makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor such as turn aside to lies. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Oh, that men would trust the Lord. That's what this Psalm is urging us to do. The person writing it, David himself is saying, oh, that men would trust the Lord. I trusted the Lord and this is what he did for me. Oh, that you would trust the Lord because you'll be blessed too. It's interesting, if you read the rest of that psalm, you see that it's actually talking about Jesus, that this was his mindset, that he was someone who trusted the Lord. You see, Jesus was someone who was 100% convinced that he was loved by his father. He knew his father could be 100% trusted, even when his father led him to a horrible pit. How many times do we read in the scripture that Jesus was surrounded and he just walked right out? Like there are situations where if you were a disciple, you were going, I think this is the end. I think this is it. I think it's over. I think they're going to kill Jesus. And Jesus, the Bible would tell us, he would just walk right through the crowd. He 100% trusted his father, even when his father led him to a horrible pit. Oh, that men would trust the Lord just like Jesus did. Well, when the earthquake struck, Saul's scouts went to find out what's going on. Because they hear the chaos and they hear the noise. And so verse 16, it tells us, And the watchmen of Saul and Gabeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away. The word there means to collapse. The whole Philistine army just started collapsing. The order of the superior armed force with all the superior weaponry just began to crumble into chaos. And they went on beating down one another. The King James translators decided to take something that happens later in the text and explain it here. Literally, it means they just ran in every direction. There's no beating going on right now. One another is not in the original text. So there's no reason to think they were fighting each other at this point. But the language is telling us that when this earthquake hit and the news was accompanying by it, that they just scattered in every direction. Now, when Saul hears that the Philistine army is running, he assumes correctly that some of his men attacked. Verse 17. Then Saul said unto the people that were with him, number now and see who is gone from us. And when they numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And so, (laughs) verse 18, Saul said unto Ahia, the high priest, bring hither the ark of God, for the ark was at that time with the children of Israel. And it came to pass that while Saul was talking unto the priest, that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. And so Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Saul hears about, he knows his son has started whatever this is. 
and he's not going to be outdone spiritually. He's going to be seen by his men as the one who gets the next set of instructions from the Lord. So he calls the ark, calls the high priest, tells him to put his hands into his robe, which is where he kept the Urim and the Thummim, those two, what we believe, are two stones where they would discern the will of the Lord. And so we find out what God wants us to do. Should we attack or not? And so as the high priest is going and doing all this, the noise is just escalating and escalating and escalating. And before he can get an answer, Saul says, no, we got to go now. And he just leaves. He can't even follow through with this. Because as the high priest is reaching into his robes to consult the Urim and the Thummim for God's answer, Saul takes matters again into his own hands. Verse 20. And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves and they came to the battle. What do they find? Behold, every man's sword was against his fellow and there was a very great discomfiture. The word there means panic. There was chaos and confusion. And when you take that and you mingle it with terror, rational thought goes out the window. And so people are fighting each other. We're going to learn a little bit. There was one other factor because the Israelis who had been enslaved, they took up arms. Look at verse 21. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. So as they're coming to the battle to find out what's going on, what it looks like is the Philistines are all fighting each other. Some of them are, but some of them are Israelis who had sided with the Philistines and now they're turning against the Philistines again. And so at this point, Saul and his men joined the rout. And as news spreads, those who'd been hiding in the mountains, they join in the chase. Look at verse 22. Likewise, all the men of Israel, which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in the battle. And so, verse 23, the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over unto Beth-Avon. From day one, when Saul summoned all Israel to Gilgal and he was supposed to wait there seven days for Samuel, from moment one, it was going to be the Lord who rescued Israel, right? They were always going to be outnumbered. They were always going to have inferior weaponry. It was always going to be the Lord who took care of them. But Jonathan and his assistant, well, they were the ones who trusted him for it. And what a blessing that must have been for them. And so, as the Philistines flee, it says the battle passes over. It moved through unto Beth-Avon. Beth-Avon is a few miles west of Michmash, so the Philistines are fleeing toward back home now. They eventually form, at some point, some type of organized retreat. But they are retreating at this point, even though they still outnumber the Israelis. And, you know, whatever appearance Saul tried to give to the people to win them back to his side, Jonathan's the one who had the steadfast heart. Saul wavered numerous times in this campaign, and he will show his carnal attitude as the battle continues. But Jonathan never wavered. And that's a heart that God can use to do amazing things. I mean, don't you want to be the one that trusts God to do the rescuing? Don't you? Me too. I want to be the one that says, okay, God, I know it sounds crazy, but I know you can do this, and I'm going to look to you and you alone and I'm going to follow you all the way. Let's have steadfast hearts and let's see what our great God might do. Amen? Oh, Lord, I read about Jonathan and it fires me up. I want to be 
that guy. I want to be like David who said, I, I don't care about any of the odds. Don't tell me the odds. Don't tell me what has to be done. Don't tell me who I have to be to pull this off. All I need is your word, Lord. And Lord, that's our desire to be people who will follow your word, who will trust in you with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding, knowing that you'll make our path straight. You'll direct our paths if we do so. Lord, you're the one who can turn a hill into a valley. Lord, you're the one who can say to that mountain, be thou removed, and it, it's gone. So Lord, that faith of a mustard seed, that, that faith that we need is just that faith that trusts what you say, trusts your way. So Lord, we commit ourselves to do that, to trust you, your word, your ways, your love for us, your faithfulness, your power to protect us your hands that'll never drop us, Lord, and your arms that are always underneath everlasting. We love you. Thanks for loving us first. Thank you for good examples like Jonathan. Help us to be like him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. By the strong army will say.